it is time to tune up the band and cross the line, for it is yet another episode of The Sweet Chinwag. I am Sam. Joining me as ever is Dan and Reardon. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hi. And just for, like, context, we are recording this just right in the midst of a heat wave, and it's so warm right now. You just, like, oh. Oh. I, I know I know my sound is bad, or dear listeners, and it's going to sound probably a bit worse. That's because I got pretty much every window open. I apologize. We, my I, room I, is like a heat sink, so... Yeah. And it's not even helping. It's not even helping. I'm still slowly rising in temperature. My God. Yeah, so I'm not soundproofing anything. Like, I don't care if you hear ambient noise. You are hearing the ambient noise, because by <laughs> golly, it is too... Darn warm. Anyhow, we are giving to you this podcast as ever, free of charge. Thanks to the people over at SoundCloud. And soon, hopefully very soon, we'll be on other platforms. I've got some pending. Yes, pending. Hopefully, pending. as I said, might be in the next couple of weeks we might actually be on other channels. So we on, shall see about that. I'll probably eat my words in a couple of weeks' time. I, I, Any... all, all I want, all I want is to be on a different channel before my birthday. That's all I want. No that's guarantees. It's gonna say this perfect birthday present, then, isn't it? Really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get into this week's episode, which is of course the uh, the rise and fall of TNA Part One, we are gonna hand it over to uh, this week's wrestling news with Dan. And uh, yeah, let's be honest, it's um, it's been a tough week this week. So I'm not gonna kind of like hype it up and be my usual mm. jovial self because I think that's just not kind of needed at this time so dan over to you with uh with the news this week yep. so as we said it's been a very intense week to be a wrestling fan especially in the british world although i do know that the u.s scene uh is it is undergoing the same kind of changes as well this week in wrestling has been hard to see the world often unknown to us fans has been exposed and shown some of the darkest sides of the thing that we absolutely love. Wrestlers, both ones that we at the podcast and many, many others across the IWC that love, have been revealed to be systematic abusers, harassers, predators, and downright fiends. It's been horrifying for myself to read the stories that have come out since then, and the way talent have been taken advantage of while wanting to pursue their dream of competing in that ring. No one should ever have to endure this just to have a shot at doing what they love, nor should it ever be expected to be put up with, even under the guise of banter or some kind of jovial play. This is a watershed moment in wrestling, and especially in the British scene. This is an amazing moment to clear out the bad and bring in the good. Some have called this a dark time in wrestling, but for myself and many others across the British wrestling scene, this is a moment to make a change to wrestling and make it a safer space for performers, fans, and promotions. I have seen some amazing promotions in this time such as Kamikaze Pro, Pro Wrestling For You, Riptide Out Of Brighton, Riot Cabaret Pro, In Out, North Wrestling, Disobey, and OTT Ireland, who have done amazing work in taking steps to ensure that they are safeguarding both talent and fans. 
I have taken swift action to resolve the very clear issues that are present. <laughs> I myself am a person who has and still does work in education, and I know how important this is. And the fact that there were people interacting in that capacity without safety or background checks <laughs> kind of horrifies me. We've seen the amazing stepping up of some talent as well to take a place as a figurehead for this new speaking out movement. Sierra Loxton, Victoria, Alexis Falcon, Gia Adams, and Lizzie Evo have been working tirelessly to compile a comprehensive list of people and also a comprehensive list of stories that they've been told by victims in the hopes that they can create a solid platform to stop these kinds of people from being allowed back into the industry. I think this has shown us that wrestling needed change, and this is the moment. Before this, Speak of the Union was a kind of pipe dream led by a person that has now been corroborated inside this movement as one of those systematic abusers. But I hope this doesn't kill the momentum. It highlights the need for some kind of outside independent body to be taking a place to run this world. Because honestly, it seems like this world has failed at running itself. Thank you. Couldn't have put it more eloquently myself. Um, for this week's recommendation corner, I want to give a shout out um to wrestle talk and in particular to ollie who's been very very vocal and very very um very outspoken and supportive of everyone who's been speaking out and i think they've been really really good in kind of just making a, a conversation about all of this and what should happen and them and wrestle talk as a whole making some steps to ensure that there is more you know in, uh, in uh inclusiveness I should say to towards women so they're making steps to make sure that more women are in the hosting roles and making more you know writing roles and being on Quizzlemania, all of that good stuff but you know you don't need me to tell you to go watch wrestle talk because wrestle talk's awesome but in any case you've got even more of an incentive to watch wrestle talk yeah and so with all of that done and out the way we are now on to this week's episode the main portion which is of course the history or the rise and fall i should say of tna <sighs> this one is this one's a hard one uh to talk about because it started off grand and then just slowly i wouldn't even say slowly within the turn of the decade it ended up dying a very painful day <laughs> <laughs> it's oh man <laughs> so for this portion for part one we are going to be talking about i guess you could say the glory days of, of tna uh, which is 2002 to 2008 but before i start going into the timeline i want to ask you two a question when was the first time you both saw tna or watched tna oh that's so tough <laughs> Mm. Dan, you I gotta think on this. So Dan, you take you take it first. <laughs> I gotta think on this. It's fine. So one of the things I do wanna just briefly say, and I was wondering when I'd be able to get this point in, but um much like we mentioned before with WCW, 
there was a brief time where TNA was kind of the more popular one over in the UK. Mm. And that was because it broadcast on... Um, Spike TV, I believe. Uh, Spike TV. Previously, Bravo. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, that, and some, up, a, and some other sorry. channels... I'm sorry, very quick sidebar. Bravo was a terrible channel. It was, <laughs> oh, it was, a cha- it was a channel for all the ultimate trash TV. Oh, it was Lads TV. It was. Lads TV before Dave yeah. came around. Yeah, yeah, that's literally what it was. Like, the only thing I ever remember it broadcasting was, like, TNA, Takeshi's Castle, and then, like, shitty American re- reality shows. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but... So, the weird thing about TNA was, but because it broadcast over here on freeview channels so you didn't need to have a subscription to watch it mm. or you didn't need to have a cable box really so oh. it made it become weirdly more popular uh, briefly <laughs> more popular um if i had to think back to the first time i saw it i think it was around the time that they actually probably first started representing themselves as purely ena or maybe mm. when they launched the impact show because i believe because Hey, here's me remembering my TNA history. It was, you remember, it was originally NWA TNA. Yep. <laughs> and, um, uh, and they uh, had the NWA belt um, and stuff like that. And I believe it was about 2006 they changed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, funny so, I'd probably, so I'd probably say my first time watching it was probably around 2008 when I believe they launched Impact as like a Friday night show. Yeah, I think I'd be around the same time. So, because like, because like, I re- I remember the whole like. I mean, I still remember Jeff Jarrett, um, because <laughs> he doesn't. was still there basically for ages, even in that point. Um, and like the, I mean, again, I remember like the AJ Styles, the Christopher Daniels, the Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode era. Yeah. Yeah. Arguably, what some would term prime TNA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the one I remember most distinctly, though, do you remember a guy called Sanjay Dutt? Yes. <laughs> He's like my most distinct memory of TNA. Absolutely. Other uh... than suicide. <laughs> preface, preface here suicide is the name of a wrestler <laughs> we will oh trust me we will get to suicide because suicide story and the genesis of that is a really really interesting one but like me... yeah but... i remember i remember because there are like people i do remember like from explicitly tna that mm. were pretty much only around for that time of tna i mean obviously like people like aj styles and samoa joe bobby Roode will go to wwe now um but i do remember people like sanjay dutt um suicide um there were a few others as well my memory's probably not just serving me right but probably around the 2006 to 2008 periods of the first time i remember, I remember it yeah, so this tracks for me that tracks for me thanks sorry that actually does track for me in terms of my brain in terms of like that's the time where i started watching and my early memories was um the knockouts division that was my early memory yeah yeah the... i mean yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, um, because they're like, um, again, it's like, dear listener, we we've reiterated quite a few episodes, but I think it is something important to note. Like, televised female wrestling has was has been bad for longer than it's been good. Let's put it <laughs> that way. And I mean, yeah, because this is the thing I do see a lot of people say. They say that like they think the knockouts division was like the first genesis of like 
half decent women's wrestling on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was the first um the first female hardcore match, proper hardcore yeah. match that I ever saw. It introduced me to Orson Kong. Hell who, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's just a delight. And also on the great wrestling. You you know what? I'm gonna do my um my recommendation, written recommendation. <laughs> if you have Netflix, watch Glow. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. yes. I fucking love that show. <laughs> And if I'm thinking correctly, this might be wrong, and it might only be in um, the UK Netflix, but there's also a documentary on Glow, which is also great. Mm. So watch both of those things if they're on. (laughs) Absolutely. So this is where I show my age, because Mm. I watched TNA all the way back in 2003. Before it was cool, basically. Before it was cool, because at the time... Was that the time... I was going to say, was this the time when, like they made every show a pay-per-view this was indeed so but thing yeah. is it, before bravo had got uh gotten uk rights to to tna um it was broadcast on a sky cable channel known as the wrestling channel uh and they had the rights to show the tna pay-per-views on cable or satellite i should say uh, given sky yeah. Um, but they not only again i will keep bringing that channel up because that was the channel that introduced me not only to tna but it was world of honor czw uh british wrestling um world of sports uh new japan and all japan but the big coup that they had was of course they had they were the uk broadcaster for tna for a very very long time um and that was how I first watched it. I remember watching the first match I ended up watching was the triple threat ladder match between AJ Styles, Low Key, and Jerry Lynn for the X Division Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, some consider that one of the great, that like one of their first great matches at that time yeah. of two thousand two to two thousand three. So yeah, it shows my age there that I, I I watched it before it was Impact. That's yeah. that's that's how cool I am. <laughs> so. Let us set, as ever, the Wayback Machine all the way to 1999. Jeff Jarrett yep. and Vince Russo. I'm sorry. I had to <laughs> you had to. So, uh, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, best mates with Vince Russo in the WWF at the time. And Russo, of course, is booking Jarrett to win. And he's currently Intercontinental Champion. Russo has booked Jarrett to still remain as IC champion when his contract has ran out. And so with Russo. (laughs) And so with with the IC title basically to ransom, Jarrett asks Vince McMahon for a filthy sum of money to defend it one time at a pay-per-view and then leave. He which he just so happens to do. He gets paid two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be booked into a job match, into a squash match, I should say, against China uh, for yeah. the Intercontinental title in a good housekeeping match, which was basically a hardcore match with kitchen appliances. I'm just going to say, watching that match back, it, it's kind of, it's really ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. It's like... also hilarious that Jeff Jarrett, I mean, I remember the first time I heard it, it was like $300,000, but I know like 250000 is probably more accurate. Most but, likely. like, I just... Just remember hearing it, and it's just just like, hey, how the fuck did they let them get into that situation? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of like, no, I, the mo- like, this is the first I'm, like, 
the actual history of TNA is going to be completely new to me. I just remember <laughs> seeing it dissipate and not hearing the behind the scenes of it. So to hear that Jeff Jarrett managed to get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, oh yeah, out of Vince McMahon is <laughs> astounding. <laughs> you got to admire. In a sense, you've got to admire the guy's hustle. <laughs> Yeah, I no, no, I fully admire the hustle. He got yeah. two hundred fifty thousand pounds to lose. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is the reason for the longest time as to why Jeff Jarrett was blackballed from the WWF. Uh, so in late '99, Jarrett, of course, is in WCW, and his best mate Vince Russo decides to jump ship and come over as uh, as full as one of the head creatives, or no, the head creative for WCW. And of course, we know how well both of those did with WCW. They basically yeah, what, I'm just ran it to the ground. Right now, I'm not. I'm I'm gonna spare you both the Vince Russo voice because my 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 throat cannot handle it. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> Given like. I'm guessing pollen levels are extremely high in this weather. Oh, very. <laughs> Illegally, some might say. Mm. But, so, what, so, like, uh, listener, make a note of, um, of Vince Russo messing up in WCW and having to leave, because no lessons will be learned. <laughs> so, of course, in 2001, of course, after a absolutely tumultuous 2000 that wcw had of course in 2001 they are brought out bought out by the wwf after their tv contract with turner had ended and uh jeff jarrett without a job and realizing that he really couldn't wrestle in america after doing subsequent tours in the uk australia and new zealand and all throughout europe you know being blackballed from the wwe realizes very fast that you know he can only make his own company and has this nice little piggy bank that he made back in 99 to be able to do that. So Jeff Jarrett, his father, Jerry and Bob Ryder, one of the head uh, writers and producers in WCW, all famously, as you heard here, went on a fishing trip and contemplated their futures yep. in wrestling. This fishing trip, of course, was to create a brand new company. And uh, so much so that uh, Jeff not only put the quarter of a million that he made, but he also remortgaged his house to get TNA off the ground. Funnily enough, do you know that Vince Russo came up with the name Total Nonstop Action? Because, of course, that's a very Russo thing to call a company TNA. You know, Tits oh, no, like, like, yeah. I just assume that's all that went through Vince Russo's head, and he thought of TNA, and then afterwards, like, one of the other ones was like, yeah, total non-stop action wrestling, and then Vince Russo being like, yeah, that was definitely what I was thinking. That's a, that's a real retrograded name right there. Like... <laughs> no, you, you don't trust me, yeah. It's like, with things like that, with Russo at this time, it gets a little bit... A little bit weirder, but uh, of course... Um... Actually, before we continue, considering how key a player he's going to be in, maybe this is a time for a Pokedex on Vince Russo. Reardon, you go right ahead. Okay, Pokedex Vince Russo. <laughs> Try and explain Vince Russo to people. I have made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because look, I feel like the only. Okay, look. Do okay. I have permission to do the voice one time? As, as, yes. I guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. He's gonna get us. We're gonna get blocked by Vince Russo now. We're we could get blocked. blocked by. We could get blocked by Vince Russo for saying hello to him. <laughs> All right, that much is true. Go ahead. <laughs> Yo, bro. So basically, we're gonna have. Uh, uh, these two wrestlers, and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna put the title on a pole, right? Bro, it'll be the best booking ever, bro. They'll get the ratings, bro. There you go, that's Vince Russo in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, to give a, a slightly more accurate, but honestly not that more accurate. <laughs> okay, so if you know, if you have a idea of what the Attitude Era specifically, so the, the 90s to the early 2000s, what that looked like in terms of wrestling, you know, people getting fighting, fighting in, like, shopping malls and really real, real, like, risque clothing and just extremely 90s. Mm. That is the brainchild of Vince Russo, who basically took the then most popular show in America and maybe the world. I need to check that, but maybe I'm not sure. But basically, the most one of the most popular shows, the Jerry Springer show. I basically said we can do that. Only we just do wrestling with that, <laughs> and it worked for better or worse. It worked. <laughs> yeah, I remember well, seeing someone someone described it as like if you let a, if you let like an American college frat bro run a wrestling company. <laughs> basically, <laughs> and I will I will cop my hand to it. When it works, it is damn good television. I will cop my hand to it. At its best, it has this well, forgive the expression, raw intensity <laughs> that cannot be easily duplicated very true its problems are obvious <laughs> and i think i'll just leave it at that so that's all you really need to know about how vince russo thinks he <laughs> thinks in terms of that and gimmick matches he is... judy bagwell on a pole he, yeah the man is Frankly, has a fetish for gimmick matches. I have no other way that I could put it. Gimmick matches and tournaments. That was all yeah. Vince Russo. That that was always Vince Russo. <laughs> yeah. What was the other one that he did that was really bad? I remember it was Judy Bagwell on a pole where she wasn't actually on a pole. She was on the end of a forklift. Um, was it Viagra on a pole or was it steroids on a pole match? I think it was Viagra on a pole. I remember it had Buff Bagwell in it, so it honestly could have been either one of them. <laughs> and, um, and one little note before we continue... Um, that time in WCW where he made himself champion as an angle. And oh, David crumbs, Arquette. Yeah. And David Arquette. Let's never forget the greatest WCW champion in the year 2000, David Arquette. <laughs> so, yeah, where... Ah, yes, I was talking about the genesis of TNA. Yeah, in yeah. that time of, of course, the Jarrett's and Bob Ryder making that, uh, make, starting to make this company, of course, they you know, get the acquisition and get the help of the NWA to come in and use their titles, which was a massive coup at the time to be able to get the NWA. I mean, of course, they had fallen on hard times and the NWA name wasn't as big as it once was. But to be able to get such a recognized brand in wrestling like that was a massive, massive coup. Of course, Vince Russo joins this in around July. So just as they were kicking off with the pay-per-view shows. 
Speaking of that, that was a very interesting thing. Because they couldn't get a TV deal, and because from a lot of companies and a lot of broadcasters from their perspective, seeing that there was only one wrestling product on television, thought of it as a bad idea, Jarrett made the decision to go, well, let's do a weekly pay-per-view. Um, that way, um, not only can we survive instead of having to do monthly pay-per-views, but we can also make uh, the product a bit more edgier than the WWE. Hence why Russo called it TNA. Uh, <laughs> so with all of that at play, the backing and the NWA, they held their first event on the 19th of June 2002 at the Georgia Dome. Now this was very famous this event because just before they were going to go live on the pay-per-view they had a dark match just just i think it was like 10 minutes before they were about to yeah. go on air so they so, had a dark match hold, with hold, a hold, hold, hold it sorry sam dark match a match that is not televised <laughs> good thank you for picking that up for him yeah. <laughs> so this was pretty much like a, a no kind of no frills match but the one person in particular was a wrestler called Cheeks. He was a 450-pound man who basically just, like, did, like, bonsai drops is his gimmick, basically. The whole kind of um, his moveset was bonsai drops. So much so that he did two bonsai drops, I believe, and the last one, he hit the ropes with so much force that he snapped the ring ropes. Yeah. <laughs> So he either, he either snapped it or it was like one of the ropes like came off the thing that secu that was like securing it to the post. So what happened was the job was supposed to take like it would they could get it done within half an hour. They only had a few minutes to be able to repair the ring. So I remember because I remember I've actually gone back and watched this uh, this first pay per view. Uh, they weren't done but they had to get 20 or 30 people all under the ring to then try and kind of macgyver fixing that uh, ring rope and they did it with only like two seconds to spare as a matter of fact if you look at the opening pyro to the pay-per-view you can see T the 20 people all shuffling out of the ring and through the entranceway uh that's how close they got and basically that the whole thing was as soon as they they like kind of like improvised it was like well we, we that's the only thing we can do we can only hope for the best and just so happens that you know you have one heck of a, of a pay-per-view i will list off some of the things you saw on this pay-per-view so they had record. I think they had recorded. They they broadcasted one live, and then they recorded the second episode for pay per view. So in this first first showing of uh, NWA TNA, we had seen the debut of AJ Styles, um, uh, a very little well known, a little known wrestler who had yeah. made his debut in WCW just as the company was dying off, um, and had worked in the kind of like Georgia. Uh, and an Atlanta kind of indies at that time before he got called up yep. to NWA TNA. Uh, but he has an amazing uh, four-way uh, X-Division championship match between himself, Jerry Lynn, Loki, and Psychosis. 
Uh, I feel yep. this was kind of like the kind of like the breakout, almost in a sense, the breakout moment for AJ because he started to impress a lot of people in that debut match, which you can find on YouTube, and I highly recommend it because it's like, well, this is this is kind of like the start of something new. They were released, they were you know bringing out a brand new division for guys that did all the well to quote to quote a certain wrestler the flippy shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was nice it was exciting and different and you were bringing in established guys and you're bringing in this brand new talent for this new division everything seemed pretty cool uh it was also on this event that we'd seen uh uh ken shamrock be crowned the brand yep. new nwa world heavyweight champion to a little bit of controversy because dan seven at the time was nwa champion and actually had the belt relinquished from him just so they could do this event so there was a little bit of controversy there and that one. We also saw the debut of America's Most Wanted, James Storm and Chris Harris. Uh, oh, yeah. Which was an amazing tag team, and I won't have anyone say different. Although their gimmick <laughs> at that time is they were wearing the best, the best in Wrangler jeans and cowboy boots. And I just don't think that gear would have worked out very well for them. <laughs> So, everything seemed great. They had a great couple of pay-per-views to get started. And uh, they drew, actually, quite good numbers for a brand new company. And doing such a bold move as doing weekly pay-per-views. I think it kind of drew 250,000 buy rates. Something like that. Don't quote me. If anyone knows yeah. those numbers, please do. Please do get back to us on Twitter. At Sweet Chinwag. Um... But slowly but surely, they were hemorrhaging money, like, badly. And so from what you saw, their debut being in the Georgia Dome, they ended up being then in a smaller kind of, like, arena uh, for the next couple of pay-per-views. And then slowly but surely, they ended up really shrinking in size and production value. Uh, and, of course, everyone knows that they ended up, I think, around July or August time, ended up going to the now-famous tennessee state fairgrounds in nashville which was then yep. nicknamed as the tna asylum so with so much money being hemorrhaged from them in october dixie carter buys the dixie carter and her father's company i should say panda energy purchased a controlling interest of tna and they launched a free kind of cable show called uh, explosion at that time so yep. 2002 was a really 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 unique time you had uh vince russo coming in and then forming uh, a, a group with aj in it called uh sports entertainment extreme sex because oh because it's the most vince oh. russo it's just, thing it's just so vince russo <laughs> it was also at this time in around 2002 2003 you had uh Jeff Jarrett becoming world champion. Uh, as a matter of fact, before he became world champion, Ron Killings actually took the world championship from Ken Shamrock. Yep. R-Truth, wow. would you believe that? R-Truth was over oh, his head yeah, yeah. in TNA. Yeah. Against Shamrock? I don't believe that for a second, and I know <laughs> yeah. you're not lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> we also saw uh, AMW, America's Most Wanted, become tag team champions. They were really bolstering the tag division uh, at that time. Uh, we had, of course, the amazing, amazing uh, X Division, which saw AJ go up against guys like Amazing Red, uh, Jerry Lynn, Low Key, uh, a uh, a newly debuting uh, roster that were coming in and out from the indies. We had guys like CM Punk, Colt Cabana, 
Liverpool, London, uh, yeah, the Briscoe brothers. Uh, we had um, who else was it? I remember specifically being there for a very long time, but was still contracted with Ring of Honor. Um, ah, I forgot. But as I said, a multitude of guys that were gum- coming up in the Indies were also making waves at TNA. So it was a very interesting time to see it uh, form and mould. But I remember one of the big moments as I was watching it at the time in around 2003 was the acquisition of Raven. Because two weeks prior, he had just been let go by WWE. And yeah. I remember Jarrett winning the NWA World Championship. And then uh, and just out from the crowd, Raven makes his intentions very clear. He's taking the NWA World Championship. And uh, it was a shock because a lot of people weren't expecting it. And it was, of course, a very common theme for TNA going forward was the big acquisitions of former WWE stars coming into the company. So about after 27 months of the pay-per-view model, um, and of course Explosion showing exclusive matches that weren't shown on the pay-per-views, TNA began producing uh, a weekly television show and a monthly pay-per-view after they had secured a TV deal with Fox. Yep. This was... So they... I think it was Fox Sportsnet, if I I believe, they uh, ended up being on television. Funnily enough, only for a short couple of weeks in this country, not only were they being shown on the wrestling channel... But after the Fox Sportnet, uh, Sportsnet um, acquisition, they ended up being shown on British Eurosport, believe it or not. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but only for a couple of... I think it was only for a couple of weeks. Yeah. British Eurosport. Now, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, May 2004, we're skipping ahead, uh, and TNA yep. introduces Impact after their move out of the... Uh, the Tennessee State Fairgrounds and into the Universal Studios in Florida, and this is yep. where we get the uh, the world famous six sided ring and the two the two uh, the two different uh, opposing entrance ways for heels and faces. Thoughts on impact on like impact as kind of like a, a visual kind of brand with the six sided ring being on the soundstage, the two different entry ways. I really liked it when I, <laughs> yeah. I really did now even knowing the um the awkwardness of having the six-sided ring like in later times hearing people like it was a terrible idea I, I, I just a pure casual wrestling fan I loved it I was like this is weird as hell but it has a cool little look to it the two different I like the two different like entryways is one of those things that is kind of like a, a real dope slap moment. Like, why isn't that standard? <laughs> yeah. like that, that's one of those weird ones where you kind of think, that sh- like, that kind of should be, like, normal, mm. right? That's yeah. A weird, like, I know it costs a little more money, but... Or perhaps a lot more money, thinking about it. But still, <laughs> you, you think that would be... So, as a presentation, like, obviously it wasn't, like the huge production values of the WWE. But I, when I started watching, I never ex- ex- expected that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because it's like, because um, remember, again, and I think it's something, it's key to reiterate, as a casual wrestling fan, it's, um, 
WWE or bust, nothing else, <laughs> especially at that time. Yeah. So to see this so weird and so new, especially after the 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 ignoble death of WCW, yeah, I was I was all for it. I was honestly all for it. <laughs> yeah, I was so I was so for it because it for me it kind of led more into the side of sports than sports entertainment. Mm. And and also it was just a, a really unique look because like you're saying, isn't it kind of cool though that you have them entering from separate entrances because it almost feels like a boxing match. Yeah. Mm. Or like a UFC match where they have people come from like the different ends of the arena and enter the cage on different sides. No, like I fully agree on that one for, and like, for sure. I and like obviously like there's a lot of the stuff like um there's the interviews with Sting where he was like spent too much time running four four sided rings, hated it. <laughs> and AJ Styles was like I, I loved it. It was great. You could do so much cool shit with it. <laughs> and I no, honestly, like in terms of that, I I agreed with AJ. And you saw that. I think I think this was the the this was the time with the six sided ring moving to to um, Universal. Uh, that six sided ring produced so many amazing moments for the X division, uh, for the X division guys. You know, it just it just mm. I mean it just gave it a unique look because, I mean, so here here's the thing that we say often about, uh, you know, obviously wrestling companies want to take on the WWE, they want to be that, but at this time it felt like they were trying to be an alternative not a competitor yeah. yeah they were trying to do something completely different <clears throat> and mm. like yeah okay a lot of it was very much along the same lines as normal wwe stuff but you had the six-sided ring that gave it its own look everyone they both came in from different sides which gave it its different feeling so it just had what made it its own really yeah and i think and i think i'm like like at even taking away the um the actual production design and values of it, one very interesting thing was the X division. Yeah, and it it, it being a very specific draw. It was very because like the WWE don't like like flippy wrestlers. They don't. Yeah, Vince doesn't. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Vince doesn't. Yeah. No, no. But, yeah. <laughs> so to actually have, like, we have this thing because um, two out of the three in the podcast are on the short, lanky side. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, so like, we will always stick up for our short, flippy Spider-Man s wrestlers. <laughs> Forever. You know, it, it's 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 just not. It was nice having an area where those people would just be treated as like flippy spot monkeys mm. because yeah. like often the wwe thing is you bring in a guy who's a high flyer and you're like all right but basically all i want you to do is go into this match lose but like do some stuff where you like jump really high off the ropes or do like a really cool looking rotational move yeah <laughs> and like that's it yeah but like i mean so what i will say is with um nxt putting investment in the cruiserweight division mm. has been fantastic to see Oh yeah, oh. Uh, and it's one of the really good stories. But the X division was like this own area for people who were like that, who wanted to be different, yeah. who wanted to do different things. And it did kind of get watered down. I assume we'll probably talk about that later. Yeah, we, we, when we, in the second part, <clears throat> we'll we'll for certain get into into the kind of like the uh, 
what's the word? The disillusion, I guess, of uh, the dilution of, of the X. Yeah, the, di- the sure. dilution because it kind of stopped being this cruiserweight thing, and it basically just got treated as like, I guess, the equivalent of like the IC or a US title in yeah. WWE. Um, but you really should never have been. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But we will also get to the great selling point and probably one of the most unique things about the X division when we get to uh, next in next year. So, cause we're still on 2004. Yeah. So at this time, of course, with that being all done, uh, all, all, you know, getting into impact, of course they were on Fox sports nets. They were doing, of course, the weekly shows followed by the monthly pay-per-views um, in November of 2004. TNA held, holds their first one, which was Victory Road. Uh, yes, Victory Road would have been the November one. So yeah, that was their very first uh, pay-per-view. And it was in, as we get into 2005, the contract with Fox Sports expires. And I didn't realise this at the time, because I initially thought that after Fox Sports, given, of course, that we were still getting uh, in- impact on television, that... Um, TNA didn't have a television deal um, up until like a few months down the line. So what they had done yep. was that they had TNA air via webcast for a very uh, short period one of the, time. They were one of the very first companies to kind of adopt it. That's right. Mm. I do actually remember little rumblings of that, but it was that, wow, that, this is going to show kind of my age and the age of the internet, especially at that time. I thought it was a gimmick and I didn't watch it because it's like, why would I want to do that when, you know, I could just watch things on proper TV. Little did I know. Yeah, I mean, it is important to say that they were one of the first companies to kind of embrace the internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And, and that is... it, it took the WWE quite a while to get there. <laughs> I, I'd, argue, I'd argue the network is when they finally got the hang of it. Yeah. Just about, but like, um, as... As is often said by many people in the um, the wrestling community, um, <laughs> WWE.com is probably the last place you want to go to for news about the WWE. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty oh, much. Man. So let oh, us man. talk about, for my money, the start of TNA's really big popularity. Like 2005, when I'm thinking about it, produced a lot of amazing moments. So we had arguably the birth of probably one of the well not it, at the time it had like a, at least a few matches in the tna asylum but i truly feel like it's absolute popularity the match stipulation i should say reached its peak in 2005 and of course i'm talking about ultimate x let's go <laughs> let us talk about one of the great ultimate x matches that is still talked about to this day aj styles versus Chris Saban versus PT Williams for the X Division Championship. What a match. 20 minutes. Didn't outstay its welcome. And these two, of these three, I should say, absolutely tore the house down. Um, Pete Williams is insane. Pete Williams oh, is just, oh, man. What a great guy. What a great, smooth wrestler as well. Granted, oh. now he's been cursed with the unbelievable burden of having the most indie-rific move in all of in, of all of wrestling. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's that's one hell of a legacy to have when you have Mauro Ranello calling it the Canadian Destroyer, as it should be yeah. called. 
Oh, the yep. Canadian destroyer. If you, I'm sorry, but like, if you, if you're calling it a flipping pile driver, or you're calling it a sunset flip pile driver, we need to have questions. It's a yeah. Canadian destroyer. That's the Canadian. Like, oh man, let's talk about the Canadian destroyer. The bonus one of the, okay, okay. Bonus. I'll just brief. I'll just briefly say this: the Canadian destroyer is one of the most. Inst I remember the first time I saw it, and I was like, "How the fuck did he do that?" <laughs> to, to put it into um, perspective, um, a friend of the podcast, uh, Jonathan. He, um, I, he's not a wrestling fan. He's not. He's a he's a wrestling meme fan. I would say more than a wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <fan. laughs> but um. I remember at uni, I showed him the Canadian Destroyer, and he has been obsessed with it ever since. <laughs> it is one of the most ridiculous... I cannot believe someone hasn't died moves <laughs> I have ever seen. And no matter how many times you see it, no matter where you see it, Every time you see it, you go, "Dear God, what have you done?" <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think that like the most high-profile injury for a pole driver just came from like a standard sit-out one, and then like Pete Williams is whapping <laughs> out that like week to week, and everyone's fine. Uh, Could you, um, listener? I demand you go to YouTube and type in Canadian Destroyer. I demand it. Right now, little fun fact: Do you remember at this time, around 2005, PT, of course, was involved or was part of a big stable known as Team Canada? Yeah. Funnily enough, had him, uh, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, um, A1, and uh, Johnny Devine in this in this stable. Uh, Scott mm -hmm. Demore was the loudmouth manager and, and and head of Team Canada. The reason I bring Scott Demore up is because Scott Damore was the inventor of the Canadian Destroyer, not oh. P.T. Williams. So it was an invented, perfected kind of thing. Yes. And if you take one look at Scott Damore, especially around the time of 2005, you go, him? He invented the Canadian Destroyer? You know what? That's a good, that's a good, um, that's a good link to... Let's talk about AJ Styles at this point. Oh. I am still weirded out by the way AJ Styles looks today. No, agreed, <laughs> agreed. Uh, given, like, AJ at this I time mean, had been yeah. a triple crown champion, was the first triple crown champion, had been a multiple-time NWA world champion, uh, multiple-time X-Division champion. When I think of AJ Styles, I think of this era of AJ Styles. Mm. You know, the... I mean, yeah, it's, it's the important thing to say, which is that... I think for most people, you know, disregarding his run in WWE, when you say TNA, people think AJ Styles. Yeah. yeah. And he uh, was, I mean, he was the face of the company. Rightly so. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like he, he was, he was like the draw and he was kind of one of the stars that they made. Mm. Yeah. It was like, it was, that's why it was such a shock when he actually came into the Royal Rumble in WWE because he was yeah. one of those ones where you thought like he's going to be in TNA and he's going to work the indie circuit and retire. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> well, oh. like, he, I'm sorry. That, that, that's, that was the way yeah. I was thinking about it. Uh, no. Like, 
because we will get into the whole debacle involving TNA and AJ on the second part, because that is a whole can of worms that deserves yeah. a yeah. segment of its own for sure. Um, but talking of AJ, it was after this Ultimate X match we had uh, we had the Super X Cup, which in, which introduced a lot more re- X Division wrestlers in. Uh, from around the world. Funnily enough, Shinsuke Nakamura at this time made his debut yep. as IWGP champion at Impact. Believe it or not, <laughs> uh, I actually wow. went back and watched that match against Elix Skipper, and it's so it's so interesting to see Shinsuke's former kind of like previous kind of gimmick at that time to what he is now. Uh, especially at that time, he was defending that title against Brock Lesnar. Funny fun fact, actually, Shinsuke Nakamura did actually train in Brock Lesnar's gym when he was in MMA um, to kind of, kind of, you know, not only get more fit but to kind of increase his repertoire in uh, wrestling. That yeah. is a fun fact. Yeah, uh, Shin- apparently Shinsuke and Brock have a lot of mutual respect for each other because uh, that was one of Brock's first matches after his, you know, attempt at NFL. Yeah. So very interesting thing, but. Of course, back to where we are. 2005 saw in September saw probably one of the greatest rivalries I think TNA ever had, and it was the triple threat rivalry of AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and a newly debuting unbeatable Samoan submission machine, Samoa Joe. Okay, so I was hoping that we were going to mention this match because this match is just oh so good. So I remember, I remember at this time being absolutely immersed and loving this rivalry. It kind of started with AJ and Christopher Daniels trading wins for the X Division Championship, and then of course a recently debuting Samoa Joe comes into the mix and decides to just steamroll through the pair of them, which then leads up to this match in Unbreakable, the TNA yes. pay per view Unbreakable. What a match. If you can you can find it on YouTube and I seriously seriously recommend you go and watch this match because without question this is TNA's best match. Oh man, like okay, I I want to gush about Joe, but I also know that Dan wants to gush about Joe. So it's kind of like Well, oh no. I want to gush about wanna, Christopher Daniels. <laughs> I mean that I want to gush about all of these men, mm. but um, I mean the important thing to say is here is so we'll talk about like the dilution and not necessarily the ruining, but like the <laughs> the loss of the uniqueness of the X division uh, when we get to the next one. But the thing is, is that you would never think that Samoa Joe would fit in with people like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, because like you know comparatively he isn't really a guy who does all like the kind of flippy shit mm. um but he just gelled so well with them mm. like they just worked so well together and there's like so much to this match that's so enjoyable it's a five star match like borderline undebatable oh man i man you know it's sometimes sometimes <laughs> i um i wonder how long it why it took me so long to realize that I was bi. Because when I saw Joe, <laughs> I was like, who is this man? I won't lie, I thought you were going to mention AJ just so I could get the line off. <laughs> I'm... AJ's nice, but Joe, <laughs> what a wrestler. What a personality. 
just this walking ball of intensity <laughs> just every single time with one of the greatest just one of the greatest most simple themes yeah yep oh i love it and i love thank god thank whatever god there is out there that he was allowed to keep it in wwe thank god can i just take oh. a brief aside for this does anyone here remember samoa joe's first theme when he debuted in nxt yes why would i do that it was a horrible rendition <laughs> uh, why would i do that daniel <laughs> a horrible rendition of mama said knock just... you out it was terrible. I just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just had to say it because it's one of the most unfitting, weirdest sounding, and just pointless themes I've ever seen ever given to anyone. I'll put it to you in this context. When Joe, as Ring of Honor champion, came out to Mama Said Knock You Out, you believe this man to be one of the most dominated world champions ever. Like, this man was here to kick ass and take names. When... I can't understand why CFOs decided to do a half-assed rendition for it. Like, it was like he put Nubba said Knock You Out on helium. And it just, like, gave it to Joe. No. You but can't... the problem is, is they made it sound like they were prepping him for, like, a rapper gimmick. Mm. They sound like they were going to make him come out, coming out looking like crime time. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Like... <laughs> Then ev eventually they got around to figuring it and gave him, gave him the one he has now, which is infinitely better. Yes. And it's one of, like, even though it's so simple, it's probably one of my favourite themes kicking about on roster right now. And, of course, oh, yeah. a one thing that you will never, ever get out of your mind, and I'm going to say it now, if you, uh, you can perfectly sync Samoa Joe's theme with the lyrics, Samoa Joe is fat. Now, you go back and listen to it, and you'll be going, like, fuck Sam was right. Samo, uh, Joe I, I, I am, is fat. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, and I hate you, and this is now. Hey. I, mean, my, I, mean, I mean, my personal favourite one about his current theme is just that people start chanting Joe. <laughs> just simple. It's literally, it's literally just that. No. It, it, and, it, mm. it reminds me of, it reminds me of the You Suck on Kurt Angle's theme. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know what, it's a goddamn shame. It's just shame. so simple, but it's really good. It's just a damn shame that he's been reduced to the commentary booth, isn't it? I know. It disappoints oh. me, especially when I go I back... I want to see him wrestle. I want yeah. him to f do Germans and throw people across the ring. That's And watching this match, it upset me in a sense to realise that Joe can't... Joe's not allowed to do that anymore. I just want him... Come on, Samoa Joe versus Brock Lesnar. Samoa Joe versus Drew McIntyre, at least. Yes. At least. Yes. Yeah, it's Samoa amazing. Joe versus Braun Strowman. <laughs> Samoa Joe versus Big E. Samoa Joe versus Big E. Let's go. Yes. Let's Ab go. So freaking lootly. But before I get on further down into the timeline, it just before it occurred to me, isn't it amazing still that these three are still apart? You know, of course, I know apart from talking about Joe being in commentary, but the three of them when they are wrestling, are still at the top of their game. Yeah. Yeah. Given that oh, Daniels is oh, now oh, in his good. 50s now. Yeah, he is. Jesus God. Christ, he Jesus is. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that dude immortal. That dude immortal. Like, I've seen Daniels a couple of times now. I've had the bloody privilege of seeing him live a couple of times now. And I think... TV doesn't do him justice. When you see him live, he is so... He is just as good, if not so much better live. 
there's just something about the TV cameras that does does not do Christopher Daniels justice. But uh, yeah, what an amazing rivalry these three had. They have a, subsequently have a couple of more matches, including a really good Ultimate X match for the uh, X Division Championship. But it was at this time as well that uh, WWE had moved Raw back to the USA Network. And so, of course, with Spike TV, a deal opened up. And TNA, of course, swooped right in and got that deal. Um, and aired its first episode around, I want to say October time. Yes, it would be October time. Because a newly debuting Dudley Boys would 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 enter and make their appearance in TNA. Now christened yeah. Team 3D. This is another little offshoot I want to do. There was a there's a really really interesting thing about TNA that not only they had this amazing homegrown talent, of course, Dan uh, Styles, Daniels, Joe, Abyss. Man, Abyss. Abyss was freaking oh, amazing. Man. Abyss was like mankind on crack. <laughs> it's such a it's such a shame they absolutely jobbed him with the later storylines. Absolutely. We'll get to that. But Abyss, Yeah, we're getting to that. Abyss are oh, bless him for making my weird slip not listening adolescent <laughs> yeah. perfect. Oh man. No, but not only did they have those homegrown talents, but they also had this weird I guess it was like a remnant of, of, of guys that were being in WCW had this weird remnant of bringing in the older guys from WWF and WCW. So, of course, you had at this time, you had Nash and Hall. Uh, yeah. You had um, Randy Savage come in to make a one and done thing. Uh, Rick Flair was there, wasn't he? Rick Flair would be in a little bit later, around uh, oh, okay. just before this time. Um, but you also had, of course, Raven. You had yeah. Jake the Snake make a weird random appearance but at one I point. I will say, though, I will say, though, to be fair, if you're a new wrestling company, why would you not take Raven? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. But I also, right. <laughs> talking about this, I want to bring up the weird, we're well, going back a little bit, but to 2003. And Hulk Hogan, of course, has just been released by the WWE and makes a small appearance. Well, I say small. It was at the Tokyo Dome against Masahiro Chono. Makes an appearance in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And after that, makes his intentions clear. He wants to go to TNA to face the world champion in the post-match press conference. Uh, him and Jimmy Hart are stood there with Japanese press all around them. And Jeff Jarrett comes along and smashes a guitar over his head and said, no, you want to come to TNA? Well, I'm bringing TNA to you. This was, of course, to set up on TNA uh, back in America, a match between Hogan and Jarrett. Never happened, of course, because Hogan was demanding too much money. <laughs> Sounds right for Hogan. So, yeah, there was, this weird, there was this weird thing of TNA, of bringing in the older established guys, even if it was just, like, for two seconds... And having the homegrown talent that was seemingly like WCW were keeping the company afloat. Uh, but even more so, I'd say, that the, the, the these homegrown guys were making TNA as popular as it possibly could be. Oh, definitely. So, so oh, skipping yeah. to November 2005, I say was probably one of the most important uh, acquisitions that TNA ever made. And that was, of course, Christian Cage. Yes, mm. baby, let's go. Christian. Oh, the Christian Cage. I I think a lot of people, a lot of wrestling fans, can safely say that Christian Cage was incredible in TNA. 
He was incredible anyway. He was, but I feel like he got... He, he fully kind of... Fully... He, he was allowed to realise his potential. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Um, he also dropped one of the greatest promos in TNA history. Yes. <laughs> I've I've shown it I've shown it to these two guys probably about six or seven times at this point. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. But like, it's it's just so good. Oh <laughs> uh, no! What 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 an incredible! I think it was a very beneficial one up until oh. I think I've, I've, up until that point anyway. Um, of course well, we yeah, have it, two it, more it coming up soon. The it was kind of like the first time that someone had been allowed to go to another company and really flourish. Mm. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're talking in hindsight and you know future context here, but he did eventually go back to WWE. Yeah. And have his potential somewhat realized. <laughs> but it, but it was it was this it it gave him this platform and showcase to be like hey look please actually take me seriously because yeah. I'm actually really good maybe you should listen to all the other talent who say I'm really good yeah it's such a horrible thing because he's a great wrestler who just happens to be best friends with a legendary one yeah <laughs> that's and it's and the worst said... part is yeah, and the worst part is it's like. It's like he's not even bitter about it. No. <laughs> Which makes it kind of worse that it's like, oh, give him something to do. He deserves it. He deserves it so much. Mm. A guy who was part of the pioneering of an entire division. Yep. A guy who was amazing on the mic, amazing at promos, amazing in ring. And then you're just like, all right, but what if? He just stays as the tag team guy and we do nothing with him. Or put a blue dot over his face. Vince, what you oh, like, I'll seriously? never get over that. No, oh, I'm oh, still God. so angry about that entire idea. <laughs> oh. try... Let... I'm just going to say this anyway, right? <laughs> hey, here's my here's my slightly bi tendency coming out. Christian Cage is not an ugly man. No. No, no. he is not. I don't find. As, I don't as, think. I can't understand why Vince, Vince thinks of him as a rat face knacker, but you know. <laughs> OSW arguably, reference. Arguably, that's how I think about Vince. <laughs> Vince is like. You know what? I don't even care. Because it's not, it's not like we're going to be getting hired by him anyway. Vince is aging like a lich. And it's kind of creepy. He's stealing other people's talent to fuel his life force. <laughs> The God Emperor of, of wrestling. Oh God! The Here Imperium go. of Vince. Here we go. <laughs> oh boy! Right, we are just moving swiftly on quickly. Just, no, no, I'm sorry. Just Space Marines, just looking like Triple H everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. We're done. We're done. Cool. Cool. Right, because it's uh, it's a month it's a month after this one that uh, Sting makes his full time debut as well, and thus we get in to two thousand and six. Um, what a year two thousand and six was for uh for for TNA because two thousand and six. Right, just to put it in perspective, we have so we have 
Scott Steiner soon making his debut after Sting. The long storied rivalry between Sting and Jarrett for the NWA Championship. A very, very, very long storyline. We also had Christian making the Christian Coalition between Tomko and Styles, of course, which was awesome. I don't care what anyone says. That was a lot of fun. Tomko, give me a beat. No. <laughs> but of course, just before, probably one of their best kind of like bound for glories, of course, the big main event that had been hyped up that entire time was Sting versus Jarrett. Um, shortly before... I think it was two weeks before that we had heard and seen the promo package. Kurt Angle was coming to TNA. Probably the God. second most important acquisition they made. God yeah, it, damn. It's really important to say that, uh, as a side note, this, this was at the time of Kurt Angle when, oft referred to as Perk Angle. Yeah, because <laughs> Kurt was really... Uh, in like trouble white with substance abuse, Kurt was in real kind of trouble. <laughs> like Yeah. This was a Kurt Angle that had like lost all sense of self preservation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really did, and it was quite scary and a bit sad. But again, to, to go back on the Vince Russo thing, it made for damn good television. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Because mm. Can't say anything about Kurt Angle that hasn't already been said. I mean, that's the thing, really, because it's like, what what do you really say in terms of his acquisition to TNA? No, because yeah. you have a guy who's already incredibly well established, already regarded as one of the best in the business, is fantastic on the mic, fantastic at cutting promos or doing like you know mm. promo spots like backstage and when they want to build story. Yeah. And yeah. you just give him the devices to basically be like, go ahead, do what you want, and you get so much great stuff. Because like, I'm sure we could continue. We could probably rattle off for like a good half hour on just. Could do an entire uh, episode. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. You could do an entire episode on Kurt Angle just in TNA, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I want to have a little time to talk about uh, just how important Bound for Glory 2006 is. Because this not only, of course, was of course the much hyped main event of the, of uh, Sting and Jarrett, um, but this was the first pay per view that um, TNA had done that was outside of the Impact Zone. This was the first time they were taking pay per views kind of on the road, uh, if I believe right. This was in Michigan, uh, or I think it was nearish Detroit, or a kind of outside of Detroit. But this was the first TNA pay-per-view, of course, that was outside of Tennessee and Florida. Uh, and would set the standard for for a couple of years of TNA pay-per-views. But also, this had a lot of really, really um, important and great matches. So we had, of course, at this time, if not many people remember, during the X Division, for some reason, Kevin Nash was wanting yep. to become an X Division wrestler. And... I kid you not, the paparazzi production segments, Alex Shelley, amazing gimmick at that time, between yeah. him, between Shelley, Nash, and Jay Lethal, 
were some of the best promo little vignette packages that TNA was doing at the time because it was absolutely hilarious and it was just Kevin Nash riffing and improving and just being absolutely stupid silly. But is, um, is, is this the one time that you're actually happy with Kevin Nash? Hey, I'll say it only this way because Kevin Nash absolutely loves this time as well and was wa- and was wanting to do this to put over, would you believe, the X Division wrestlers. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So the only reason I bring this up because this at this uh, <laughs> uh, at this pay per view, Bad for Glory, was the Kevin Nash Open Invitational X Division Gauntlet Battle Royale. That is such a Vince Russo name for a match. My yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was at this one, the Austin Aries debuting this weird kind of like David Bowie gimmick of Austin Star wins this match yeah. against Jay Lethal, who at this time, of course was slowly transitioning or was black machismo no. <laughs> we also we also had uh the team 3d making their first pay-per-view appearance i think in a four-way yep. match um we had samara joe defeating abyss uh in a mm. monster's ball match yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, baby. Um, yeah, I remember that match. <laughs> we had Chris Saban defeating Senshi or the re-debuting Loki for the X Division Championship in a really good yeah. match. That is an underrated X Division match. You should go out and find it. We had Christian Cage defeating Rhino in an eight mile street fight again. Screams Russo. Oh oh, I'm sorry, like all this time thinking about TNA. And everything. I can't believe I forgot about Rhino. He was great. Yeah. Rhino. Rhino. Yeah, yeah. Man, TNA was so good at this time. (laughs) All of this talk, I cannot like. I used to get so hyped for Rhino. Mm. That's the thing, though, because it's what I keep saying about TNA is that you'd think with this base that they'd be going, they'd like, you know had a good place to stay and find their niche, yet somehow, because of a certain person whose initials start with the same letter, um, (laughs) and a few other people who we'll talk about in the other episode, managed to come in and just be like, hmm, what if we strip this uh, unique property of all its uniqueness? Yeah. Because they had so much going for them in Mm. terms of the, you know, it's established that I'm not the biggest fan of Kevin Nash post like 1995, <laughs> um, but like they had a lot that was going really well. You reminded me about the Monsters Ball match, yeah, which was a a really cool concept. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, it was. Talking of this though, as well, I think they had a very solid tag division at this time because yeah. who cannot forget? You can never forget how good. LAX was when they <gasps> debuted with yep. Homicide and Hernandez with Conan being their manager and uh, yep. kind of I remember their gimmick or kind of, well or kind of like a long-standing storyline was was uh, was terrorizing Hector Guerrero in the Spanish commentary booth um, yeah that was a great storyline and they had a really good tag match uh, uh, against Styles and Daniels because I forgot this was before the Christian Coalition. Um, and yep. Styles and Daniels were tag champions at this point. And LAX so took much. the straps from them in a very good by, tag match. By this point, 
had the, if to my mind, the best tag team in TNA history, Beer Money Inc. debuted. Mm. No, it would have been, I think it would have been a couple of years after this, because America's Most Wanted was still around at this time. Man. Okay. Sam, you are throwing so many names in, and then I just, I just had this moment of realisation. <laughs> I watched so much TNA at this time. Yeah. I bought the TNA game. Uh, oh my int- lord interesting fact about this so this is why i'm saying this is such an important night bound for glory uh 2006 was the actual the same time midway games had come to the event and were starting to photo scan all of the wrestlers to be included in the tna video game so you had they had they had photo scanned sting Jarrett, lax christian saban low-key joe styles although he most of these guys had a redesign up until that point before the game's release but this was when the ball started to roll on the video game funny enough fact the original companies that tna had actually pitched the game to were ea sports and rockstar games it's interesting to see what a rockstar wrestling game would have been like i mean i am just gonna i am gonna side preface this by saying my memories of the TNA video game are not particularly good. No, but that, but that may, have, but I don't know whether or not that's because that was back at the time when I was much more of a dumb kid that found like certain things just annoyingly difficult and gave up on them. But I don't remember it being particularly amazing. It wasn't. I, yeah, I, you know, I would have loved to see Rockstar Games do that because, like, although like Rockstar has had a a bit of a strange um reputation right now, but they've only <laughs> done like two. Ping pong games. I was gonna say I was gonna bring up Rockstar Table Tennis. Yes. Yeah. Is yes. it is it one or t- did they do one or two? Of I only games? remember one, but they might have done a second one. They did yeah. two versions of the same game. So if I remember rightly, they had done the exclusive for Xbox 360, but then they released a Nintendo Wii version. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so that would have been very interesting to see. <laughs> Man, we are going off track. <laughs> Anyway, anyway. Yeah. No, it's amazing. But this was, uh, of course, had the amazing Jarrett and Sting match career versus title with Angle being special guest enforcer. Uh, Of course, Sting wins to thunderous applause. And, of course, this starts the amazing rivalry between Joe and Angle leading into 2006. No, it's 2007. Sorry. Um... It's a weird time for TNA at this point because, of course, we had all of these great... You had, of course, Joe and an Angle. Um, you had the Christian Coalition. You had the amazing uh, Steiner Mathematics promo at this time. <laughs> TNA was oh, starting... Steiner Math! Sorry. For me, I feel like this was the time where TNA was... I think... A tiny hairline cracks were kind of starting to show because mm. it was around it was around this time that Kurt's marriage was kind of falling apart and they were using that a little bit in storyline because oh, um, wow. of his obsession with Joe and uh, and winning and wanting to win against Joe also this is around the time as well that Kurt Angle was champion of everything so not only was he world champion at one point he was X division soul tag team IWGP world champion he had all of the belts all of the time 
<laughs> it was it was and of course you know with styles being in the christian coalition these kind of guys that were coming into wwe and now becoming more frequent of course this was around the time that uh booker t had um That's debuted right. yes 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 uh, this is the time yeah this is around the time where um like tna was only big was only sort of like tna wasn't stupid to and did acknowledge the wwe but it wasn't but i think at around this point was when like this obsession with somehow beating the wwe and yeah. seen as its as its greatest rival and its greatest competitor mm. slowly started to seep in yeah with all the wwe people coming in and being basically boosted up the card before all the mainline hardcore tna people had been you know who had been there for years if i remember correctly you've just reminded me of something if i remember correctly this would probably have been around the time 2006 2007 where joe cut that very infamous shoot promo on kevin nash not turning it up was. and being very disrespectful um so much so i think i think i think they ended up being in a fight i don't i can't be 100 percent sure on that but they did have i think i heard they had a bit of a scuffle after that shouldn't yeah. have turned up late exactly so not only that but behind the scenes tna was doing very really interesting kind of stuff um of course they had at bound for glory they had quietly rehired vince russo um because the only reason they quietly rehired him as of course was spike absolutely hated his guts <laughs> and could not stand the gimmicky matches that uh, and like the creative decisions that he was gonna he would make in WCW and WWE, um, but it's I don't a... know what you're talking about. His name's Vincent Russellini. <laughs> <laughs> what completely different person? What blows my mind about this is that this went on for a number of of years, um, and not once did Spike realize that the rate of gimmick matches went up exponentially after he was quietly rehired as a creative consultant. Like I, if anyone remembers. And actually, there's an OSW review episode on the Christmas Impact was absolutely batshit insane. Like, I think there was like a candy cane on a pole match, a, a silent night, deadly night street fight. Uh, I'm uh, sorry, but when you see the Lord on a pole match, you've got a question whether or not Vince Russo is in your company. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if That's you're able it. to host an on a pole match and you're thinking and you're like, what the hell's that doing here? If they hired rehired Vince Russo, I'm like, how did they manage to rehire him without the people in power noticing? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, like, I where, like, no, like, where do you think that money is going? No, no, exactly. I was, oh, Into the gimmick matches. <laughs> but like, I. I really want to know. <laughs> I need to know before I die how that <laughs> happened. Oh man, it was it's it was a weird time. Of course, like not only that, you had the executive decisions. Actually, TNA at this time had a partnership with YouTube to show exclusive content on their website, yep. uh, which is a very oh, no. very interesting. Uh, when you think about it now, it's like exclusive deal with YouTube. Jeez, man, that was a halcyon day, like a like an innocent day. <laughs> of the internet back then where you could freely have deals with youtube before they were bought out by google and have like you know all of your great stuff out there for the world to see before it was dmca'd automatically <laughs> yeah. 
But I remember there being some really kind of like... Not only that, but there were some good highlights. Of course, I'm talking about like the, the Joe Angle kind of feud. But I remember the cage match they had where Angle came out in MMA gear and and had a re they had but had a bloody a, a bloody affair of a cage match um i think it was oh i want to say it was hard justice but i might be wrong on that but it was a pay-per-view that they did have and it was a bloody good match um at this time of course the transition of nwa uh dissolve or leaving tna and tna now becoming its own entity happened around this time if i remember rightly i think it was because of scheduling conflicts i think it might have been christian who had the nwa championship at the time and wasn't able to do uh the nwa dates outside of tna so that was when nwa made the decision to leave and cut ties with tna and of course we have the tna world heavyweight championship uh replace the nwa championship um I'm very surprised that how long it took for nwa to split from tna yeah yeah it was kind of like the point where i think i think for both companies it was like well for tna it was like whoa they're calling it tna now so we don't need them anymore mm. and the nwa probably being like why is no one mentioning us we're kind of the people behind this <laughs> true we're, we're getting nothing out of this that of, yeah. of course to crown the newly uh minted tna world championship that of course culminated in the king of the mountain match at slammiversary which yep. king of the mountain is a very very uh, I, what's the best way to describe it it's like it's 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 like a, a five-way match but like a ladder match so you have to like start out as in a ineligible you start out as in, in, in ineligible, but to become eligible for the title, you've got to score a pinfall on the opponent. But yeah, the opponent who is pinned of... has to spend time in a penalty box. This is such a Russo and Jarrett match, Vic. <laughs> it is. I mean, we're saying we're saying this. It's kind of like a cross between like a money in the bank match, but also combined with like a championship scramble yeah yeah uh, um i'm just trying to think of a way to like actually properly describe it because <laughs> there's a, there's a lot to unpack it's a weird amalgam of the several five, matches okay. i'd say the five competitors in the match start out as ineligible to win to become eligible a wrestler has to score a pinfall or submission on an opponent the opponent who is pinned or submits has to spend two minutes in the penalty cage, and more than one wrestler can be inside it. Once eligible, the wrestler wins the match by retrieving the prize. Wait. Retrieving the prize and then hanging it on the hook suspended above the ring. It's so. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry. Back up, back up. So they have, to, after all that, they have to take the belt and put it up. Yes. <laughs> Rather when the wrestler wishes than... to hang the belt on the hook, he has to retrieve it from the official. Once the belt is in play, any other eligible wrestler may attempt to steal the belt and hang it on the hook. 
I never I never said it was a simple concept. It's I swear to God, bro, this is gonna be the most innovative yeah, wrestling match you've ever seen. Understandable matches, everyone. Listener, if you are confused, don't worry. I am just as confused. Yes, I was confused, and I was reading a thing that was meant to explain it. <laughs> I had the source material, but uh... and I was confused. <laughs> But of course, this of course made this that this was the match that kickstarted Kurt Angle's kind of like long run with the title and his sudden devolve um, mind uh, of sound mind anyway uh, <laughs> into uh, seemingly in storyline and unfortunately a little bit in real life. But I digress. Moving swiftly on, um, this of course like leads into two thousand and eight and. Again, another another weird kind of year where, of course, the whole uh, Angle Jarrett thing is still very much ongoing. We have LAX, you know, proving that they are still one of the best damn tag teams in in the uh, in the company. But of course, there is one team in particular that I kind of want to gush about for the next few minutes. Um, that kind of started from nowhere, from relative obscurity, to end up becoming probably one of the most recognized tag teams i think in tna and that's the motor city machine guns ah uh, yes shelly and saban were known had a really extensive rivalry at that before they banded together in tna they were trading wins for the x division title uh, especially with Petey williams folded into the mix as well at that time and then they decided to combine their forces they are one because uh, they're both from Michigan, why not make the Motor City Machine Guns? Um, but I think this was the start of a time where I think there was a, a, I think, a revolution. I feel for TNA in the tag division, because I think you, of course, you had amazing tag teams with LAX, AMW, uh, Team 3D. But I think it it was until that the guns entered it that people were starting to recognize that the tag division was freaking awesome because um, this of course led to if anyone remembers around this time they had an amazing rivalry with team 3d like they had some bumper matches with team 3d i think i remember one of them being a like a street fight match and it could have been a bound for glory if i remember correctly uh 2008 but those two, those two teams really, really took it to the limit. And I, I remember watching that match live as and thinking to myself, God, Team 3D have put over the guns so bloody well. They've made them look like they could have hung with with them, Edge and Christian and the Hardys at that time. Um, such a good tag team and of course they would go on and we'll get to that in the in the next part but that ended up with them starting around this time forming probably one of the great the greatest tag team rivalry that tna had seen uh between them and two guys known as generation me who ended up becoming i think a couple of young bucks i can't remember i've never haven't heard from them since <laughs> you were waiting to do that i was so I? waiting to do that. Oh. Uh, but of course at this time in 2008 we saw TNA starting to get a little bit more mainstream popularity so 
Um, the wrestling channel had lost the rights, and of course, as you know, we discussed, they moved over to Bravo. Uh, and that, of course, kind of, I think that was the thing that kicked TNA into the um, into the popularity that it has in this country. I, I yeah. like seeing the, the confusion when you tell American people, like, oh yeah, there was a time that TNA was massively popular, so much more popular than well, WWE. No, it, it's, it's like it's like we said before, there was a time when in, in the UK, WCW was more popular than WWE. Mm. Yeah, and, and it, it, it's just a simple fact of access. Yeah, yeah, it, because that's 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 the thing. It, it boils so much down to accessibility, because yeah. it was it wasn't until like at least when I was in the middle of high school for me so like 2009 2010 mm. when things like raw and smackdown became easily accessible because channels like sky had become easily accessible yeah yeah like, yeah i think that's something really um important to note actually so if you are listening into if do we got to our international audience first <laughs> of all hello second of all, second of all like we really have to explain, like, wrestling access during the time we've been alive has been basically, like, Sky has basically had a monopoly on <laughs> on wrestling in yeah. England. Mm. Apart from the small time during, like, ITV with British wrestling and TNA, mm. the only way you're going to be able to watch any kind of wrestling is if you have Sky. Yeah. Yeah, and now I believe it's things like BT, who yeah. are now another yeah. separate thing you have to access, have like <laughs> NXT and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess to be a wrestler. Basically, wrestling in the UK, in terms of big American promotions, is pretty. It's not inaccessible, but like. It's just it, not. It's easy. it's not. It's not particularly easy. Mm. Yeah. And for a long time, it wasn't particularly easy until it's really grown massively into the popularity that it has now. Yes. Yeah. So when we so for any kind of wrestling to be on Freeview is was huge because you could just watch it every week, no problem, no issue. <laughs> Yeah, like, and that's the kind of like the the long and the short of it, really. In regards yeah. to why people, why pe when you explain to people why it was so much more popular in yeah. this country. So, leading us, we're getting now to the tail end of two thousand eight, and indeed the tail end of this part. Few important things we should know about the end of two thousand and eight. So. September sees at the height, I guess the height of its kind of main, of its breaking through the mainstream popularity, Midway finally releases TNA Impact the video game after quite a number of uh, noticeable delays. Um, it received mixed to positive reviews. I remember that at the time, a lot of, a lot of people kind of were, I think they were, Praising it for its graphics, uh, its kind of simple control scheme, and the Ultimate X match. But a lot of people were kind of, I think, and fairly so, the criticisms were it was really limited moveset, uh, poor entrances, uh, and just kind of like really stupid AI. 
Yeah, as well. I remember. I think I played a little bit, and one of the reviews and and I think my time playing it, the controlling in the six sided ring was difficult. Mm. They were very heavy and very. I remember the control, like the movement was like felt really heavy and really kind of like they were wrestling yeah. through treacle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. Uh, but funny enough, the the same development team would then go on to probably produce one of the most fun wrestling games of all time, and that's WWE All Stars. So ah, yes. make of that what you will. Mm. Um, so yes, it was. Uh, and getting to the, probably the final part, and I know we haven't really talked much about the actual wrestling and storylines at this point because I feel like it's. I think TNA is a weird one where it's kind of like the storylines and like the behind the scenes kind of really weave into each other. Yeah. Um, a lot. Yeah. Um, so it was at this time, of course, I'm talking a lot about um, uh, about Kurt Angle and him kind of like losing his mind slightly. Um, there was at this time, AJ Styles was uh, had split and does and like the Christian Coalition had dissolved. Uh, AJ Styles in the summer was attacked by Booker T, Team 3D, and Tomko uh, until Kurt Angle, it, much to the chagrin of him and much pushing from Karen, uh, got helped AJ. But then Kurt joined in on the assault on AJ Styles. This was and this was starting to plant the seeds of a very well-known faction that would be that would uh, birth around this time. Oh. So. Are we getting there? We are, are going to mention it. We're going to get there. So in October, a a super group is formed. Uh, we have Sting and Kurt Angle being uh well Sting I think was world heavyweight champion, but he was on the fence about whether to join this ragtag uh kind of like heelish group. Uh, but soon enough, after winning the championship, he joined. So Booker T. Kurt Angle, Sting, and Kevin Nash, along with Scott Steiner being the heavy, forms the main event mafia. Oh, and that is where we're going to leave this part because 2009 is a very important part for the main event mafia. It so, really is. Thoughts and feelings on TNA, or where 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 we where where we've gone and where we're going to be shortly on it's tna just kind of, it's just kind of crazy to think about like what they had developed because they had again they had developed this very unique product they had kind of found their niche mm. and like they had so much good stuff going for them and like again we've spoken at length about our our views on the work of vince russo <laughs> but like <laughs> They had a lot of interesting creative stuff because, I mean, even saying this alongside this, we also had the knockouts division, which was kind of in its, not its infancy, but, you know, it was there and it was becoming much more legit. We had I... Gail Kim. Mm. Shout out Gail Kim. Yes. Oh, yeah. Shout out Gail Kim. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pe and performers like her that were elevating that division up although there was i know later on there's some weird shit to come if we're ever going to get around to mentioning that but mm. <laughs> um yeah there's there's one or two storylines that we can kind of like miss over 
Yeah, I mean, um, I'll, I definitely and live in blissful ignorance. I mean, I I did I did deliberately forego like TNA's meager beginnings of midget wrestling and mud fight and like cat mud cat fights. So yeah. oh, and sh- and using uh exotic dancers in the ring set as well. I wanted to forego all yeah. of that because it's like that's such a goddamn product of its time and you know given like we had a stable called sex that was such a russo thing again yeah yeah not that that we're condoning it was it was bad then it's bad now we're just saying it exists in its own time (laughs) and And looking at looking at it through this modern lens makes me think man like if we applied like modern standards to today, Vince Russo never would have had a job. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh <laughs> man. But like it, it's just crazy to see that they had all this unique stuff and they built this really, really strong base to work from. Mm. Because like even still, I think the main event mafia is like the best place to put people like that who have come from another company. Oh man, when we get into it, I have because, s- like so much to talk about it because yeah. i feel like the potential this had and some really good matches and promos came from this especially oh, when you had the front line as well going up against the mafia uh yeah you'd be surprised i uh when i was looking at this how many people were in the front line and just who was in the tna front line yeah but I think- it, it, like i said it's just kind of sorry i'm sorry I'm <laughs> no, 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 that's cool cool but, it, but it's like it's just so crazy that they had this like really solid base to work from, and they could have taken that and like run that through for a good amount of time, and then think about now, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's pretty much the point I was gonna make. Going back, like, honestly, this was a, a I like um, in the uh, amongst us, I was the one I think the most dreading going back to this <laughs> and i think um doing this episode has not helped that but it's also kind of made me remember oh i loved it when it was good i loved it so much yeah. it was so fun it was so interesting but i find myself want to wrestle i find myself want to i find myself want to like go back in time and warn them about everything that's gonna happen don't let your kids watch this yes basically basically i want i desperately want to termin terminate a jump back in time and try to try to stop judgment day which will be coming to us next yeah. <laughs> and oh, like... I've just realized what's coming up in this timeline now. Oh, yeah. oh, man, yeah. So. An event that we've already mentioned before. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but goodness, like, so many things that we, 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 that we are going to be talking about. Because it is such a weird... Aces and eights, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so in part two... <laughs> In the next episode, we are talking about the rise and fall of TNA, 2009 to 27, no, 2018, uh, because there is a lot, and I mean there is a lot to unpack, not just behind the scenes, not just storylines, not just people coming in and coming out, not just their failed attempt at reigniting the Monday Night Wars, not just that entire thing of talking about Victory Road again. (laughs) 
But just what happened after Impact dissolved, then became GFW, and then became Impact again? There is a lot to unpack in this in that episode. And a and a slight um a slight teaser, two words. Smashing pumpkins. Oh, yes. I Lynch. thought you were gonna say Claire Lynch. No, no. <laughs> Smashing pumpkins. Twenty eleven. Yes. Really. yes. Oh, I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm out, guys. I'm gonna call in sick next week. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, so before I head off, guys, that was actually quite a nice episode. And boy, I'm so glad I kept the windows open for this episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the real, the real hero of this podcast episode. Are open windows. Absolutely. Yeah. Freaking-lutely. So. This episode brought to you by Ventilation. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag ventilation not. Is, ventilation is a mystery. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, stranger things that no one's seen. Anyway, all that's left for me to say is thank you so much, ladies and gents, for joining us on this nice but sort of painful journey into early years of tna i hope that you have the energy to come back and listen to the next episode but but all that's left for me to do now is to say thank you for listening and we will see you on the next episode bye goodbye <laughs> bye